0: And we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We're turning back into the pages of American history to meet an extraordinary woman named Alice Roosevelt, daughter of Theodore Roosevelt, cousin to Franklin D. Roosevelt, and an incredible woman in her own right. A woman who very much lived by her own rules, was ahead of her time, and arguably at certain points in her life, was the most famous woman in America and perhaps the most famous woman in the world. Her incredible story is told in a fascinating new book called White House Wild Child, How Alice Roosevelt Broke All the Rules and Won the Heart of America. The author is Shelley Fraser Mickle, an award-winning writer whose previous books include The Queen of October, Replacing Dad, The Turning Hour, and American Pharaoh, Triple Crown Champion. This book, White House Wild Child, is published by Imagine. Shelley Fraser-Mickle, we welcome you to The Morning Show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's such a thrill for me to reach your listeners, and I think it's just a privilege that I got the chance to bring Alice and her family back, Theodore. and I want to tell you about Bammy. Not many people know about Bammy. Oh, my goodness. This book is a wonderful opportunity to go back in time and see how that history even echoes into today. Absolutely. And I have a proposal to your Mm -hmm. listeners. I've been in several book clubs, and always the husbands and the boyfriends tiptoe in to steal our snacks. And we women will always hope that they would stay, but they don't. So I think I've written a book here that might be uh, the the beginning of a co-ed book group discussion because I've never met a man that didn't admire and love Theodore Roosevelt. And we women will love what Alice did for our culture and uh, the antics that she gave to us and the trouble she got into and out of. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to start with uh, telling you how Alice arrived in Washington, D.C., after her father became president, after the assassination of William McKinley. And this is one thing that echoes into our culture today, because the man that shot and killed William McKinley was shooting at um, government. Uh, As soon as it happened, uh, T.R. said it's anarchy sweeping around the world. And they didn't shoot a man, they were shooting at government. And from that moment on, he started carrying his own pistol and always worried about getting uh, assassinated, except that he really didn't focus on that. He had too much to do. He was destined for greatness. So when he came to to move into the White House, and it had to happen quickly because uh, he had to take the oath of office within hours of McKinley's death because the power vacuum there was dangerous. So he arrived on on the train with Alice, and everybody knew that he had six children, but no one really knew about Alice. And so I want to paint this uh, scene for you because I'm a novelist who's become a narrative historian, and basically it's the same. And the person that taught me that was, uh, uh, anyway, the great narrative historians say, you know, you create narrative History, like you would write a novel, it's just that all the people are real, Mm -hmm. and you don't ever deviate from it being a fact. So here comes Alice, stepping off the train. She's wearing a wine dress, and she has a bouquet of violets tucked into her waistband. The flowers are nodding and swaying as she walks, emphasizing her budding sexuality and extraordinary beauty. Right away, the, the um, flashbulbs popped, the first invention of, of flashbulbs, which left a little bit of cloud of smoke, and Alice soon became the most photographed woman in the world. Um, women couldn't get enough of her. In fact, the whole country couldn't get enough of her. And today I compare her to Princess Diana in terms of that influence, and even today, I'm going so far as to say she could be compared to Taylor Swift in the way that Taylor Swift is influencing a whole generation of young women.
0: Mm. And of course, it's important to remember that uh, Alice Roosevelt was born in 1884 and she died right. in 1979. And when one of course, thinks she about
1: 96, right? Yeah.
0: And and when one thinks about. Uh, the extraordinary ways in which the world changed and America changed, uh, and and all that she saw—I mean, it's just really quite quite incredible. Even uh, even that in and of itself, let alone the remarkable human being that she was. Right. Uh, on top of that,
1: right. How... right? It's wonderful history that we really need to uh, reawaken. That's mm. the way I call it. Absolutely. And, uh, it's. It's important to know that in Alice's day, women's names didn't appear in the newspaper except when they were getting married or were already dead. And yet, Alice soon found that she could generate more newsprint than her, even her father, and they competed to see who could get more press. And Alice always won.
0: Hmm. I'm the curious. Point, uh, and, go ahead. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, go ahead. Great. I'm
0: I'm curious for somebody who was in so many ways larger than life. And, uh, right. and someone around whom probably a fair amount of myth sprang up. How, how challenging was it for you as the writer to, uh, in a sense, separate uh, fact and truth from, from myth and legend when it comes to somebody like Alice Roosevelt?
1: Well, I had such great secondary sources. And that's the way I worked. It was Shelby Foote who's taught me a lot about how to do this, because he was a novelist before he wrote Civil War history. And um, basically everything is uh, documented. So uh, it's like anything else today. Uh, There's an outside kernel, and I saw my job as to unwrap the antics and the uh, newsprint from Alice and reveal the person underneath and when you see my note to the readers at the front of this book, that was what I was after to um, so I'm going to tell a little bit of the facts of what Alice made Alice Alice, but I really want people to read the book to understand the complexity of her relationship with her father. Alice's mother was diagnosed with Bright's disease when she went into labor with little Alice. No one suspected that she had kidney failure, but she died two days after giving birth to Alice in Teddy Roosevelt's arms. And to make it even worse, Teddy Roosevelt's mother died on the same day. So imagine two deaths in one day, two funerals in one day, and a day later, Roosevelt held his little daughter Alice for her baptism. But he was so overcome by grief that he could neither say Alice's name nor look her in the eye. And in time, Alice interpreted his silence as disapproval. She came up with all sorts of outrageous antics to try to capture his attention, and then her outrageousness made her famous. So basically, um, what I want people to do as they read this book is to look at the effects of a father and grief on a daughter. Mm. And I'll go here now and go so far as to say, you know, I've raised a son and a daughter both, but a mother can tell their daughter that she's smart and beautiful, but she does not believe it until a a man says it to her. And the first of those men should be her father. So this is a great exploration into family and relationship issues that affect childhood. And we're all worried about our generation of children coming up through the pandemic and also the things that are going on in the world and the hate that's been released. So this is an opportunity for us to even look at the mental health issues of not only we adults, which I think reading can help solve. Sure. But also, you know, I love to read. I start reading at 4 in the morning because it's quiet. And I match my mind with the mind of the storyteller and also the subject matter, and it's just so calming. It's almost a form of meditation. Mm. So let me get to some of the antics. I'm sure you probably know about some of those. Right.
0: Well, let, I I want to ask you a couple of things first. But uh, yeah, first, sure. I want to reintroduce you. Uh, for those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Shelley Fraser Mickle, and we're talking about her book White House Wild Child: How Alice Roosevelt Broke All the Rules and won the heart of America. This is the story of Theodore Roosevelt's daughter, Alice Roosevelt, and uh, somebody who lived uh, a long and extraordinary life, uh, a woman uh, tremendously charismatic and uh, at certain points uh, controversial, but ultimately someone whom all of America seemed to love, and and someone who uh, lived through... uh, all kinds of extraordinary uh, changes uh, in our country, uh, right up to uh, her death uh, in her mid nineties uh, in the year nineteen seventy nine. One of the things uh, that I really appreciate about your book is that you are not shying away from the complexity of of Alice Roosevelt and the fact that that there were things about her that, in a sense, were fairly contradictory to uh to her outward uh personality. I mean that for instance we we think of her, we remember her as somebody who was vivacious and outrageous and charismatic and all of those things. But in the introduction to the book you talk about how there was an essential sadness to Alice Roosevelt, oh, a yes. certain shyness uh-huh. and that over her long life you go as far as to say she was never Happy, not as she should right. have been. I wonder right. um, how is it that we can see these this this inner side to her that was so different from uh, kind of the outward personality that the world saw.
1: Right. Well, I just um, gave the framework in terms of her mother dying after she was only two days old, and no one ever spoke to her about her mother except for TR's older uh, sister, who took little Alice and rushed her to a wet nurse and kept her for the first three years of her life. But I say, and I almost titled this book uh, The Haunted Childhood, and my agent changed it because White House Wild is much more upbeat and fun to think about. But Alice lived a haunted childhood, and the only way that she could, uh, she thought, break through her father's grief, that horrible barrier that just froze him in place in terms of being a father to her. She started carrying, when they got to the White House, when he became president by assassination of William McKinley, she carried in her purse a copy of the Constitution, a dagger and a green snake named Emily Spinach. And when her father told her she couldn't smoke under his roof, she climbed to the roof of the White House and smoked there. And unbelievably, she was pathologically shy. She never spoke in public. So when she was on the roof of the White House, she sent messages to the newspapers where she was and what she was up to. And uh get this other scene that I just think is outrageous. People couldn't wait to hear what she had done next. At White House garden parties, when her father entertained the congressmen, she walked among them and took out her green snake and wore Emily's spinach, the snake, as jewelry. And she loved the looks on the congressman's faces as the snake started exploring the folds in her dress. So people could not really get enough of her. And I say in my opening... Um, that she was like the first Gloria Steinem before there was Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she went out on the street, young women would circle her and applaud. And her blue eyes ignited a fashion craze, where everyone rushed out to buy something Alice blue. Mm. So, um, yeah, she. Uh, it was interesting to start unwrapping all of these things that we usually think about, Alice Roosevelt, and find the person underneath.
0: Right. The first part of your book uh, is actually titled T.R. and Bamey, and this would be, of course, her father and uh, her father's beloved sister, who was a very important part of Alice's life, and we'll we'll get to her in just a moment. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you paint for us a rich and detailed uh, and complex picture of who Theodore Roosevelt was, and particularly growing up but but really through all of his life she, he was also somebody where there was more than meets the eye, and he was an intriguing mix of of of, of different characteristics. I wanted to focus though particularly on uh, on something about him, which I think is uh, rather poignant. Uh, this is where he is uh, you are talking about the way in which he fell really hard in love. Uh, with right. with Alice, the woman he would ultimately marry, he would be his first right. wife. You write it at one point, uh, he admitted, despite his reluctance to own up to any vulnerability, that he was simply knocked crazy in love with no hope of recovery. Among all the gifts he inherited from his family, both through genetics and privilege, was a magnificent ability to love, not just to love as a passing fancy, but to love deeply steadfastly. And it's so interesting to think about that because, of course, part of the story of his daughter, Alice, is the fact that because of this crippling grief he experienced over the death of his first wife, Alice, Alice's mother, that uh, in some respects his ability to fully and freely love his daughter uh, was never what it perhaps could have been and and exactly. a, really interesting to think about somebody who in so many ways was was designed for loving open-heartedly yeah. but uh but that was in some ways impossible when it came to his own daughter
1: yeah and uh i explore um my purpose as a narrative historian is to interpret history so i actually uh engage the reader to say things at times like Could this have happened? Could this have unlocked the grief? But one of the things that you think about when a woman dies in childbirth is the father blaming the child. And in the uh, memory that he finally writes about Alice, he um, gets very close to saying something like that because he describes Alice and said, on the uh, birth of your child. He didn't say our child. And so I interpreted that passage that he wrote while he was in the Badlands trying to uh, digest this horrible grief and this tragedy that had happened to him. I don't think he ever saw Alice as his child. He always thought of it as the death of um, his beloved Alice. And um, when you think about the fact that um, the way we raise children today, celebrating birthdays, Alice never really had a birthday because it was the death day of not only her mother, but also of Teddy Roosevelt's mother. And so there were a lot of conflicted feelings there. And because he did feel so deeply, one thing I learned and could never let go of, and my editor had to hold me back because I became so fascinated with T.R. and his layers of um, complexity But not many people know he was a genius, and this is important to know because he was a president with vision, and we've had very few presidents with vision. And uh, Lincoln said if he could hold the country together and keep it from breaking apart, it would one day be the most powerful nation on earth. And T.R., when he became president, was the first president to fulfill that prophecy, and we can get a little bit later to some of the things that TR did as president. But um, uh, being, and the other thing that astonished me was I discovered that TR wanted to be a writer, and considered him, as, him uh, himself as a writer and wanted to earn his living that way. He wrote and published forty books hmm. uh, before he became president, a few afterward, but not many people know about that. He was an absolute genius. And the one that realized that was his older sister, Bammy. She was like two and a half, nearly three years older. I can paint this picture for you because it is so riveting. You know, uh, someone I had an interview with last week said introduced this discussion by saying that the Roosevelt's were as close to America's royal family as we've ever had, Mm. other than the fact that President Roosevelt always had a little conniption fit when somebody called Alice Princess Alice she was known as that and he said no 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 we don't choose our leaders by being born into power birthright has no right or uh, any practical use in American life we believe that you are born to succeed not because of uh, your family but because of your uh, abilities so um, Bammy. Um, This is the beginning of the Roosevelt family. This is intriguing to me, and it's not in the book, so I can give you things that will make the book even more intriguing when you delve into it. Um, Mitty Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's mother, was so renowned as a beauty and for her charm and vivaciousness living in Georgia that Theodore Roosevelt Sr. heard about this extraordinary young woman and went traveled from new york to georgia to see for himself and when he arrived at the uh, plantation mansion uh, bullock hall back then a young man never approached a woman without a calling card so he slipped a card under the front door and mitty had a young slave girl named toy toy who took the card and gave it to Mitty, and that's the beginning of the Roosevelt family and American history, and <laughs> as we know it in its um, most uh, elevated times mm. of what President Roosevelt did. So, uh, Mitty, this is really the interesting part. After she died, her reputation was still so great that Margaret Mitchell was a journalist or young writer for the Atlantic Constitution. And they sent her to interview Mitty's bridesmaid who was still living to create a feature about Mitty Roosevelt and her legacy. And so when Margaret Mitchell interviewed this woman who was still living, she used her as a role model for Scarlett O'Hara. Wow! Gone with the wind. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that
0: is really amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, speaking of amazing, yeah. we need to talk yeah. further about Teddy Roosevelt's uh, sister, who was such right. an important part of his life, and and someone that you 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 tell us was so significant, and yet has largely evaporated from the pages of history. I mean, most people do not know her name or who she was, or certainly have no inkling of how important she was, uh, to Theodore Roosevelt, uh, both uh, as they were growing up together and certainly uh, in the wake of this uh, double tragedy that he suffered uh, in 1884, losing his mother and and wife on the very same day. In fact, right. I wonder if you would tell our listeners a, a really poignant uh, story that you tell in the book about uh, it had to do with the house that, uh, that she had just vacated and, that, right. uh, and then her brother is coming to town suddenly for a visit. This house stands empty and so on. Uh, tell our listeners this amazing story. It really shows us the level of devotion that she had oh, for yeah. her brother.
1: I think actually my greatest privilege in writing this book is to bring Bami to the reader and to our public today because she evaporated on purpose after uh, Theodore Roosevelt died, she got all the letters that she had written to him that gave the advice. She engineered his whole political career. And during his presidency, she was his secret advisor. He never did anything without passing it through Bammy. And um, so she evaporated from history. And when uh, Lillian Rixey was a writer who went to Alice, as Alice was an older woman, and said, I want permission to write your biography. And Alice said, oh, not me. Why don't you do Aunt Bami? Because if she had been born a woman, a man, sorry, if she had been born a man, she would have been president. So I find it absolutely uh, a great privilege to bring her back. And the way that I did was I found her memoirs. As um, in a rare bookstore written by Lillian Rixey. And um, the way that she put it together was through letters that Bammy had written to her son because Ram- Bammy wanted T.R. to have all the uh, glory and credit, and she always planned to disappear, which is so egoless. You know, it's just amazing to think of her. Unconditional, enormous love, again, another symptom or signal of the depth of love that these, this family practiced. So in the uh, scene that you asked me to, to kind of describe or bring back, after um, T.R. went to the Badlands to get over the grief or deal, deal with the grief, I should say, and uh, 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 Bammy wrote him every day, and she really kept him connected to the world. And um, he finally wrote her, and he said, you know, I slept through the night for the first time in months. So he was beginning to rejuvenate a little bit, and she reminded him, she said, you've promised to go to the Republican convention in Chicago. And uh, T.R. wrote back, and he said, well, Cabot Lodge is going to go with me, and uh, we're going to come home for a few days before we head out to the convention. And Mammy was thrilled because she knew that if he had a companion um, who was big in the party, Republican Party, that it would help TR handle his grief. TR was always afraid of losing control. He hated to feel helpless. And that's what the death of Alice Hathaway Lee made him feel. He was not equal to um, kidney disease. He could not protect her. He could not keep her, and that was a devastating feeling of helplessness. So Bammy had already sold the house where not only her father died, but also her mother died and where uh, Alice Hathaway Lee died. It was just too sad to keep. It was a huge mansion next to Central Park. So Bammy found her own place and was had moved in there when she got this letter from T.R. saying Cabot Lodge and I are coming. So Bammy is an example of how extraordinary she was. She got some pieces of the furniture and put it back into the mansion and flowers and staff and servants and everything like that. So it would not jar the recuperation of uh, TR from his grief, deep grief. And that was the kind of person she was. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about her beginning, because to me, it's just riveting Um David McCullough thinks that Bammy was had Potts disease, which is T R uh, tuberculosis of the span, spine. I decided that she probably was a congenital malformation, but she was born with a hump on her back. And think about that: that the Scarlet O'Hara character-like mother's first child was Bammy with this medical problem, and was not beautiful like um, Mitty was. So she never grew very tall, and with this hump on the back, they didn't expect her to ever walk. So Theodore Roosevelt Sr. started the orthopedic hospital in New York City for her and brought home a physician who made a brace for Bammy. And when she was three, she lay face down on the couch in that brace all day long until her father, Theodore Sr., came running up the stairs, and he always carried a toy. So he had um, a toy oven, and they made cookies and cakes together. And then uh, every afternoon they would have imaginary tea, a tea party. But my point is for this father to play with this child like that, to make her the center of his universe, um, you have a great comparison of father's effects on daughters. So Bammy turned out to be absolutely brilliant. By the time she was 14... She had read all the books in her father's library, and since he had so many philanthropic duties to do, uh, riding all day, he was one of the first people to, or capable people to drive four horses through Central Park. Made quite a show, and he was extraordinarily handsome. His family called him Great Heart, because his heart was so large and pure and warm and giving. So while he was making his rounds, Uh, Bammy at even 14, was able to entertain his guests who would stop by and wait to see him. And one of these was John Hay. Now, John Hay was Lincoln's secretary. Isn't that riveting to get all these little pieces of history together? And then John Hay would go on to become the secretary of state to Teddy Roosevelt's presidency. He was a poet. I don't know if many people know about John Hay, but if you've seen that uh, Spielberg movie, Lincoln... You can see John Hay in that he had a soft, sweet spirit that Lincoln always protected because he knew how vulnerable he was. So it was interesting to me to read that um, Bammy was able to entertain John Hay and knew him. So Bammy, when she was uh, 16, Theodore Roosevelt Sr. said she needs a classic education. Back then, oh, this is just riveting it was thought that if you educated girls, it would affect their fertility. So, we didn't do that a whole lot until the uh, colleges opened up for women. So, he sent her outside of Paris. I think um, the name of the school was La and it was run by Madame Servisteur, who was a child of the Enlightenment. Her father was a philosopher in the Enlightenment, and she'd grown up with all the, surrounded by all these philosophers and Artists and that great movement in Europe. So she started this school where all the leaders of the countries of the world sent their daughters to be educated. And get this, this is the schedule for the day. They would introduce in this school an idea in the morning, like a philosophical or political idea. And that girl was supposed to come up with an original thought on that idea, and then in the afternoons they had tea with Madame Cervisteur and discussed the idea in French or German.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Incredible.
1: <laughs> and not wonderful? And then uh, a rather devious idea of Madame Cervisteur was she said women are going to run the world <laughs> through influencing men, mm. and it was all toward her philosophy was justice. We need a more uh, a world uh, riveted or built around justice for all. So she educated all of her women to be dedicated to that idea. And they were all supposed to go back and create great salons where men would come and thinkers and movers and shakers of all the nations and be influenced. So the last thing she did before she graduated someone was to take them to Paris, have their hair done, and learn how to dress and have new clothes. So when Bammy went back home to New York City, she was 16 and um, T.R., little Teddy, was 14. And he said when she got off the train, he didn't recognize her. Uh, She dressed differently. She had an air about her, a polish. And because Bammy was so bossy and commanding, Madame Servisteur taught her how to Practice conversation as an art. And so she kind of uh, chiseled off her rough places. And um, Bammy was extraordinary from that. In fact, he ended up um, running the uh, British uh, Embassy because um, her friend, Helen Astor, died. And Helen Astor was married to FDR's half-brother, who was acting as a uh, delegate or a representative of the United States in the British Embassy. And when Helen Astor died, um, Rosie Roosevelt wrote BAMI and said, I can't manage this. I need someone to do all the social events for the embassy. So he sent for BAMI, and damn, if she didn't do it so well, (laughs) that (laughs) she started... Uh, handling affairs between Britain and other countries uh, surreptitiously. She was always the advisor behind the curtain. Mm. And so Bammy, no one thought she would ever marry. They considered her a crippled spinster. Uh, Everyone loved her, but they didn't think that she could um, matriculate in culture like she did. So she married a Navy commander. (laughs) She called him Mr. Barrow. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, at age 43, Bammy became pregnant. So um, she had a child, Sheffield, and it's so fun to think about how they wove him in to the politics when T.R. became governor of New York after the Rough Rider, and he became a hero. Um, and Bambi, uh, T.R. would say, I have to go into the City and visit my nephew because I need a, uh, to have a relationship with Sheffield, my sister's son. And uh, on those days, he would invite the uh, political hacks or the um, political system in New York to come talk to him, whatever they wanted to, which meant mostly to hire whom they wanted him to hire, and uh, the corruption in the state government. So he would park Bammy in the same room. And uh, they couldn't conduct the business they wanted to. So he used <laughs> her. Isn't that great fun? Yeah, it so really he, is.
0: And of course, there are all ki- there are all kinds of ways yeah. in, in which uh, she was also very directly an advisor to him. I mean, in, totally. including including through his presidency. And of course, we should under, underscore the fact that that uh, in the wake of of uh, Alice Roosevelt's uh, the death of her of her mother uh right. essentially the day she was born, uh Bammy becomes in effect uh her her foster mother for the first three years of her life. Right. And they first are always very, very close, yes. For three first three years of her life and 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 remains always uh in in, in many respects kind of the emotional support uh, that Alice uh, really really depended upon, we should also mention that, that
1: was the only uh, yeah go ahead. that was the only person that really talked to her about her mother
0: right uh, we should mention that Theodore Roosevelt did did remarry uh, his second wife Edith, right, and of course, part mm-hmm. of the story of Alice and Edith is their tricky relationship, and Edith and Bammy had a tricky relationship as well, and Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, found himself sometimes caught between these two formidable women but we need to leave that to uh, our listeners to explore yes. Let, let's talk about Al- yes right let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Alice and of course we've already touched on uh the stir that she created as she uh came to Washington as her Father uh, became president of, upon the assassination right. of William McKinley, and, 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 uh, and the antics that, uh, in, that ensued uh, are, are, are chronicled in your book. Uh, let's have you uh, talk for a moment about the man that she married and what a significant oh. person he was and the role yeah. that this marriage played in Alice's life.
1: Right. Well, the American people got caught up in Alice, and they thought that only one person could tame her, and that would be a husband. So everybody got really worked up about who she was going to marry, who she was courting. I mean, it was an everyday sensation. And um, she fell in love with Nick Longworth, who was a wonderful politician. You know, there's the Longworth building in in, uh, Washington. They mentioned it just last week where the Republicans had a meeting there over the speakership, the Longworth building, and it's named for Nick. And he was uh, extraordinary. He had gone to Harvard. He was a violinist. He was very popular, very handsome, very sexy, everything that Alice craved. So she married him, and I can go back and talk a little bit about that engagement after I finish this part. But uh, Edith uh, warned Alice, because Edith's father had been an alcoholic and it filled her life with shame and a fear of being financially destitute so she warned alice about nick longworth and his drinking and also womanizing but alice didn't believe it and she married him anyway and then soon after even on their honeymoon you know she found Indiscretions and drunkenness that really disturbed her, and she, for the first time, she understood. So, their life fell apart, their marriage fell apart rather quickly. And Nick always played around on Alice, and Alice couldn't let anything go, of course, so she played around on him. And she fell in love with William Bill Bora, B O R A H, from Idaho, a senator, and he was very renowned. They called him, I think, the Lion of the Senate. He was very handsome and a great orator and a beautiful voice. So they had this child together. And um, it was not known at the time, but it is today that, you know, Alice had a, a uh, child outside of her marriage. And um, that child became the most famous baby in the world. And Nick loved that child, that daughter. Paulina completely. And he would take her to the House of Representatives like every weekend and she would sit on on the congressman's knees and she was so popular and so famous and wonderful. But Alice in her personality, which was so much like her father's, I mean, they were fierce. They were exhibitionists. Uh, The difference was TR had a big heart for every human being. And Alice did not. Her heart was squeezed because of the, her beginning in life and uh, little direction. You know, all children need a mother to help or, or a good father to give them uh, anchor and be a lodestar to lead them through those difficult teenage years and into an a identity of who they are. So Alice um, didn't give that to her daughter, and her daughter grew up very tr- troubled, and overshadowed by her mother um, and uh, Alice would answer questions that journalists put to her daughter uh, and never let her answer for herself until the child developed a stutter uh, she just overshadowed her completely to where Paulina was very troubled and, and like the age of 26 she married young Paulina dead and had a child and then at the age of 26 I think she had a drug overdose and died, and Mm. Alice was 73. Now, one reason I wanted to write this book is I come from the land of Faulkner, and he taught us, if you want to be a writer, don't write about the nuclear age. Write about the heart in conflict with itself. Mm. So I'm always looking for stories about when people change, uh, because it's hopeful for all of us that we change we're able to evolve we're able to become better human beings so at the age of 73 alice had a huge enormous transformation i like to call it enormous changes at the last minute and she did after uh, paulina died uh alice fell apart and she wrote a letter to eleanor roosevelt to whom she was never kind she always made fun of eleanor roosevelt because she was good and Alice found goodness boring, so she wrote a, uh, a letter to Eleanor Roosevelt and said, "Every time I tried to write you, I crumpled." And this was the beginning of Alice becoming a different person. She took that her grandchild and raised her from the age of her age. Uh, Alice was 73; the grandchild was 10, and she raised her. And the granddaughter was with Alice when she died. That's how close they became. But Alice always said, I should have been a grandmother and never a mother. Hmm. So she gave that child all of the love, unconditional love. And if you're a parent, you know that being a parent means sacrifice. Love for anybody involves a certain amount of sacrifice. So Alice sacrificed her need for attention and, and became a exemplary grandmother to this child and gave her all the unconditional love and attention that she felt she had never had.
0: That is such a lovely point of this story. I I really do like that. In our last couple of minutes that remain, uh, I think it would be great if you gave our listeners an idea of the prominence that, that Alice Roosevelt enjoyed for most of the years of her life after her father stepped down from the presidency in 1909. She was, of course, a very significant fixture in Washington life uh, for, in, in many, many ways for many, many years. Uh, just try to describe kind of her place in the landscape of of Washington uh, through uh, right. most of the rest of her life.
1: Well, she had the most famous salon in Washington, just as Bammy had taught her to do. And I always wonder... Uh, Edith never wanted to spend money, but I always wonder if they had sent her to Madame Servisture with Eleanor Roosevelt, if Alice could have changed sooner. But uh, she never was formally educated. Alice wasn't. So, But she did uh, inherit from BAMI enough feel to know that she was supposed to be an influence through her influencing men or whatever. And so she set up the most famous salon in Washington, D.C. And they said um, that she would often meet people at the front door wearing silk pajamas. She became quite eccentric and wonderful and glamorous, and the 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 talk was sparkling. Uh, she lived to have wonderful conversation, but over the years she became meaner and meaner. And uh, she transferred all of those teenage antics into, like, -like, uh, tweet-like conversations or um, identities for the politicians that would come to her for her blessing. Everyone wanted Theodore Roosevelt's daughter's blessing before they ran for president or whatever. And Alice couldn't help it. She skewered them. She said about Calvin Coolidge that he looked like he'd been weaned on a pickle, and about Thomas Dewey she said he looked like the little man on the wedding cake. The man who loved her most and loved to uh, compare wits with her was Robert Kennedy, and any time they were in the same room together, Robert Kennedy made a beeline to sit beside her, and they uh, exchanged barbs all night long, just needled each other and. Laughed uproariously, and uh, Alice always told him what her father said about Irish politicians—that they were uh, street slugs and ignorant and <laughs> brutes—and uh, Robert Kennedy just died laughing. They had such a good time together. So um, Alice ended her life in that way, and I'll—I'll I'll tell you. Um, It's kind of an ugly uh, scene for me to paint, but it was part of what led her daughter to have an accidental drug overdose. Um, Alice decided that um, FDR's becoming president robbed her brother, Theodore Roosevelt, um, T.R.'s first son. Let me see if I get all this straight so I don't confuse my listeners. But Theodore Roosevelt's first child was Theodore, Jr., and he was two years younger than Alice. So Alice grew up with Theodore Jr. And um, he was supposed to be a politician and be the next president. But she felt like FDR stole it from him. So her, all of her meanness went toward uh, FDR. And she said with the New Deal that the New Deal was like uh, FDR giving the country his case of polio. It was paralyzing the country. She became very right-wing and uh, loud and mean. And she was having a dinner party one night, and she had a new puppy for her daughter, Paulina, and they were uh, house-training the puppy. I guess Paulina was maybe in a, a teenage age then. And so they had a magazine with FDR's cover on the front of it, and Alice had Paulina... Uh, puppy train the dog on the portrait of FDR in front of a dinner party. (laughs) And that more or less broke Paulina because she was an accomplice in a very mean act. And, you know, in some ways, I may as well go ahead and say it, that kind of correlates to what's happening in our culture today. But it broke little Paulina, and uh, it led to her uh drug overdose eventually. It was never proven that it was suicide, but um, most people think so because she was so troubled. And you can understand why when I paint that little bit of a scene. I hate to do it, but part of understanding um, how Alice became so mean is understanding uh, how to avoid that and what went into. You know, I had someone I gave an interview to a few weeks ago that brought up the fact. That that's on the Wikipedia page for Alice, which I never read and knew about. But uh, when FDR was running for like his fourth term or third term, Alice encouraged the people to vote for Hitler. Mm. (laughs) It's just outrageous. It's mean, but you could almost see it happening today. And when you understand that background where Alice thought FDR had stolen uh, Little Teddy's opportunity to be president, and she wanted to get back in the power light. So, but in my opinion, Alice retrieved herself through the love she gave to her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So I see it as a fascinating exploration of a human being striving to overcome her own double grief of right. leaving, losing her mother and then her daughter. If anything, it's a conversation of what is grief good for?
0: Yes, exactly. It changes
1: people. Right. It changes and, people.
0: And, of course, you're trying to uh, show us the inner life of this fascinating woman. The book, again, is titled right. White House Wild Child, How Alice Roosevelt Broke All the Rules and Won the Heart of America, published by Imagine, the author Shelley Fraser-Mickle. Thank you so much for writing this fascinating book, and thank you for being my morning show guest. My
1: pleasure. Thank you, dear.